the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of the Michelle Tafoya Show. Glad you're here. Don't forget to subscribe because you wouldn't want to miss any episodes, especially today's. I mean, the greatest play-by-play announcer of our time. Mr. Al Michaels is next. Now, it's time for some sanity. It's the Michelle Tafoya Podcast. All right. I can't oversell this guy. Um, because when you get to listen to Al Michaels spin yarns and tell tales and tell stories, it's, it's just a freaking treat. There is, there are very few authentic real voices in sports casting. Now there are some great ones. There's no question, but Al Michaels is authentic. And of course he came to prominence in Lake Placid in 1980 with the game that everyone knows as the miracle on ice. And we'll talk about that, but we'll talk about some other stuff as well, including Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. So while I don't always devote my time to sports on this podcast today, how can I not? I've got the great Al Michaels, and he's coming up in just moments. In the meantime, I want to give you a little advice on a Mother's Day gift. And I'll start by saying this, Genucel, G-E-N-U-C-E-L. This is a skincare product line that has done wonders for me. And I want to share it with you. It's formulated with skin nourishing antioxidants, powerful peptides in a proprietary base that's made right here in the United States. And every mom will appreciate this. And we've got a great offer for you. It's formulated by a pharmacist with high quality ingredients. And the products are sure to smooth out noticeable lines and fine lines and wrinkles, and it'll prevent others. Now I especially love the deep firming serum with stem cell technology. I cleanse my skin. I put this stuff on and I feel like my skin was just like born again. So right now you can save over 70% off Genucel's most popular package. It features Genucel's ultra retinol that contains a powerful retinol alternative, safe on pregnancies, safe for breastfeeding. You'll also receive Genucel's dark spot corrector to reduce appearance of dark marks and sunspots from long summer days outside. Plus you'll still get Genucel's classic under eye bags therapy for those annoying under eye bags and puffiness. And with its immediate effects, see results in little is 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. What have you got to lose? Don't wait. Celebrate your favorite mom. Go to genucel.com, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle with one L to save over 70% off their most popular package. Plus every package includes a luxury gift box with three free springtime essentials. So that's three free gifts plus free concierge shipping for a limited time. Go to genucel.com slash Michelle with one L, G-E-N-U. CEL.com slash Michelle. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Well, it only took a year to get you to come on my podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Al Michaels, how are you? I'm fantastic. Listen, I, I didn't get the invitation. I just got the invitation <laughs> last it, week. It got, you you, yeah. you dumped me. Let's no, face I didn't it. dump you. Oh, come on. Um, as luck would have it, 
or maybe it's serendipitous. I don't know. Today is Don Rickles' birthday. Don Rickles, no longer with us, but a terrific pal of yours. And so I saw people online making tributes to Don Rickles. What is your tribute to the man today? Don died, I think, in 2017. And my wife and I were very close with Don and Barbara. And I loved him. I watched, I saw him when I was 18 years old. He was doing a, a lounge act in Las Vegas. My parents took me there. And one of the great thrills in my life was that later on, I got to, I got to, to meet and to know Don. And I was at a party uh, maybe 25 years ago. And I made eye contact with him. And he came directly to me from across the room. And I thought, a case of mistaken identity. And he comes up and he's a huge sports fan. And he says, I love you. I said, really? I said, Don, (laughs) if you love me, I love you 20 times more than you could ever love me. And then the party was in Los Angeles. And he assumed that I lived in New York and that I was out there. Uh, for the party. And he said, Hey, when you're in town, do you think we could have dinner? I said, Don, I said, I live in Brentwood. I said, I'd like to have dinner with you like every other night for the rest of my life. I said, I said, where do you live? He said, I live in Spain. I just went to the party. So everything Don had to say had a, a, a touch of humor. Uh, he was a, a man who, I mean, as we all know, in today's world, that act probably would not fly. Uh, Don was doing what he did, uh, for so many years and so successfully. And the one thing that if people really don't know who he was or what he did, and it seems as if he was disparaging, you know, every group on earth, uh, he had that, that was totally an act. And he had a, uh, a wonderful heart and, uh, and loved people was very philanthropic and, and that's the way I'll remember him. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, there are so many great stories. You want to hear one, one good story? I, mean, I would love to. So he goes on Bob Costas's later show. Uh, Bob followed Carson and Letterman. And this is in the mid-90s. And Bob was on like one thirty in the morning. And Bob always wanted to book Don Rickles. And he gets him. Don's in New York. So Bruce Kornblatt, who we both know, great guy, uh, very talented man, was the producer of the show. And Don gets to the studio and Bruce goes into the green room to greet him and thank him and say how happy they are to have him. And then Bruce says to Rickles, Don, look, I I know you get asked this a million times. I hate to do this, but my wife is your biggest fan. And if I can't bring her in to at least say hi to you for 10 seconds, I'll probably get a divorce. (laughs) So, you know, Don says, fine, bring her in. So Bruce goes out, brings her back into the green room, says, Don, this is my wife, Lisa. And Don looks at Lisa, and then he looks back at Bruce and says, Bruce, she's no dog. So, I mean, it was just, just, (laughs) so his mind was always, you know, like one, two, three steps ahead. But one line, of course, now Lisa loved him more than, more than ever at that point. Oh, I bet. I bet. I mean, yeah, stuff like that. You know, when you say that his act wouldn't fly today, I just wonder if we're ever going to get over this. Because as you mentioned, 
he would he left no one out of the conversation. He disparaged anyone and everyone. It was like equal opportunity. Why can't we laugh at ourselves? This is I hope we get back to the days where we can because there's so much humor being depleted from everything. That's why it's it's great to remember a guy like Don. And I would recommend people Google some of his performances. I mean, you you just laugh hysterically. Go on YouTube and just type yeah. in Don Rickles, Johnny Carson, Don Rickles, David Letterman, Don Rickles, Dick Cavett, you yeah. name it. I mean, it is hysterical. And I've yeah. seen them all multiple times. And uh, if I ever, you know, sit down and say, you know, I got to have a few laughs, back I go to YouTube and Don Rickles. One of a kind. Yeah. One of a kind. As are you. And as you know, I, I'm going to. I wanted to avoid this, but then I was thinking to myself this morning, I can't avoid this because I've talked to you a couple times about this. You and I talk about so much, but in your career, I mean, the, the miracle call, the ice hockey, you get it constantly, 24-7. I know that. But what I, I was trying to remember this morning is how during those Olympics in Lake Placid, they kept that victory under wraps because it was tape delayed, right? Right. How was that done? You couldn't do that now. Well, remember, this is at the advent of cable television. So I think ESPN may have been on the air, but nobody had it. And most of television in those years was your over the air stations. So even in Lake Placid, you had the uh, Plattsburgh, New York affiliate for one of the networks, Burlington, Vermont, no cable, nothing. So it, it, it bears no semblance to to today. You had right. no internet. You had no USA Today. You had no Twitter. You had none of that stuff. So it was much easier to keep things under wraps. Um, I think what happened is that the U.S. is going to meet the Soviet Union on Friday, uh, the, the 20th of, of February in 1980. So what happened was because of the way the, the teams were seated in their two separate pools, the A pool and the B pool, the team that finished second in one pool was going to meet the team that finished first in the other. So the U.S. was second in one, and the Soviets were one or the other, and the tickets were sold for that game at 5 o'clock. And then the reverse in a second game would be played at 8 o'clock, and that was Sweden against Finland. So when it came down to about two or three days beforehand, and you could see this developing, the powers that be at ABC went through every every shenanigan they could possibly pull off to try to get the game moved, even offering the Russian Ice Hockey Federation a ton of money, better locker room facilities, uh, and, and a number of other things. They refused. So what happened was the game had to be played at 5 o'clock on a Friday, Eastern time. And in those years, you weren't going to get a rating at 5 o'clock, but you'd mm-hmm. get one at 8 o'clock. It was prime time. Sure. So Rune Arledge decided he was running ABC Sports at the time, one of the most influential men in the history of sports no television, decided we're going to put this on tape delay. Now, in those years, you could keep the score quiet. And I think the, the nightly news in those years, from what I heard, uh, the anchors came on and said, uh, if there's any, or any of you don't know the score of the game, we're going to keep that uh, away from you. If you want to see the score, you can look at television, if not look away for the next 10 or so seconds. And that's the way they did it in those years. I mean, that could never happen, obviously, now. It's instantaneous. 
I mean, yeah. I was a part. I did. I, I did the earthquake in 1989 in San Francisco. Again, pre-Twitter, pre-internet, cable, sort of in, in its um, kind of infant, infancy, though it had been around for a little while. Nobody in that stadium knew what took what, what had happened. They were all, you know, we knew we had lived through an earthquake. We didn't know where it was. We didn't know the magnitude of it. Didn't know any of the damage that had taken place outside wow. of Candlestick Park. And it took a while. And in fact, 15 minutes after the quake, uh, the crowd at Candlestick Park was chanting, play ball, play ball. They figured, okay, we survived this. No big problem. Wow, that was crazy. Let's go play baseball. These days, Twitter would have it out in two seconds. Yeah. It's a different yeah. world. We'll never get back it to is. that world. We know that. Yeah. That's the toothpaste is out of the tube. Well, that was oh, what's yeah. so cool about it. But I, you know, I, people always, when they know, obviously they know I know you and they, they ask about you and the whole miracle call and everything. And, and what I love so much about everything that you've done in your work is that it's organic. It just happens. It's not, you know, that you didn't spend the day in your hotel room writing lines for, okay, if the Patriots win, I'm going to say this. If, you know, the, the Chargers win, I'm going to say this because the Chargers never win. So you don't have to write anything. I'm kidding. That was a joke. I know. Uh, it's I know. A joke. It's a joke. Uh, sorry. Uh, but, you know, so you're watching. You have no idea. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolf. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I mean, I, I imagine you went into that game, U.S. versus the Soviet Union, thinking uh, we all knew the U.S. was massive underdog. So did you, I, I mean, did you dream about oh, this could happen or did you just think you were going to be just calling the game? I'm a realist, and Ken Dryden, the great Montreal goaltender who had retired uh, and was my partner, and Ken, very erudite man, knows everything there is to know about hockey, wrote a book called The Game back in the 80s, which every sports fan should read. It's an, an amazing, amazing insight into not only hockey, but all the sports. And Kenny and I, our, our hotel was five blocks from the arena, so we're walking over at about 1.30. And I remember one part of the conversation was I said to him, um, if we're only trailing 3-1 midway through the second period, that wouldn't be bad. That might hold the audience. I lived in fear of that game being 7 nothing yeah. early in the second period. Now, don't forget, the Soviets had faced the U.S. at Madison Square Garden on the eve of the Olympics. Right. And beaten them by a score of 10-3. to and yes. in that game, if you saw that game, it could have been 20 to nothing. And we, Kenny and I had gone over to Moscow to watch a tournament in December of, of 79. And, you know, I love hockey. I've been watching hockey since I was six years old. 
and I never saw hockey played that way. I mean, the, the, the cross-ice passes, and of course, the international rink is wider. NHL is 85, 86 feet. International rink is 100 feet. So the beauty of the game, the geometry, was like something I had never seen, and there was no other team in the world that had that could play like that. But that was the one moment in time when it all came together for the U.S. And, you know, when you look at that game, the Soviets outshot the United States 39 to 16. So how Jeez. many times do you, do you see a team on the, on the bottom end of a two-to-one ratio win a game? It almost never happens. They put That's constant crazy. pressure on the team. And then what happens is all of a sudden we're, we're, we're hanging in there and the goalie, Jim Craig, was it was off the charts and he kept us in the game. And then we got a tying goal midway through the uh, third period. And about a minute later, Mike Ruzioni scores what turns out to be the uh, the game-winning goal. And I stayed close with Mike through the years. And, uh, <laughs> and Mike's got a fantastic sense of humor. You know, we've all been dining out on this thing for the last 43 years. <laughs> And Mike, and Mike says, Mike says, if that if that puck doesn't go in, I'm painting bridges right now. And um, he also he likes to say, if I go home and I don't feel that good, I need a, a pick me up. I'll put the tape in. And he said, the best thing about that tape, every time I shoot, the puck goes in. So <laughs> here we yeah, are, forty three years later, and it's uh, yeah. it's still an amazing thing because even people who weren't alive at the time know the story. I think the movie Miracle yes. uh, helped to cement that in, in folks' minds. No uh, I know question. a lot of co- coach, coaches played part of that movie as is, is, uh, high school coaches, junior high school coaches before their teams played to get them, uh, to get them uh, revved up. But, Michelle, not a chance in 10,000 that I think the U.S. could win. And if they did, and you, uh, going back to your original point, if you rehearse something or think about something, it sounds rehearsed. Yes, it, it does. does. So when I have the, those words come, you know, I got so lucky because the Soviets have been putting so much pressure on the U.S. And, 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 if, and if, I, if I'm trying to uh, come up with a line and all of a sudden the Soviets might have scored with two seconds uh, to play in the third, how stupid would that have sounded? But the puck comes out towards center ice, which gave me a, a second, a second and a half to say something. And all I can remember basically is that the word miraculous came into my head. It got morphed into a question and an answer and let it play. And, you know, here we are 43 years, 43 years later. And believe me, there are times I think about if I had screwed that baby up, yikes, because it would be played forever. <laughs> well, here's a little insight into our Sunday night football production meetings of the past when our director, Drew Esikoff, who was – hysterical human being, very funny man. And, uh, you know, he'll, he'll always go, you know, it was that, if not for that one lucky call, Al would just be your average, you know, and he always likes to say one lucky call, Albino, one lucky call. Uh, it was, it's, I mean, I I still kind of get chills. I can remember exactly what the carpet looked like underneath me as I was a little kid, just going like this. And my brothers, mm-hmm. my siblings around me, my parents, just going bananas. And then every day for like a month, we'd all be, do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? You know, it's like this thing. It was like this, just, it's, it's iconic. And I can't imagine being the person to deliver something so iconic. You probably didn't, you couldn't have known at that moment that it would be iconic. Did you? 
No, and and uh, Drew is right. I'd I'd be painting bridges with Mike. No way in I hell, even, Mister. Well, yeah, I don't no know. Way. Well, maybe I'd be designing them. Whatever. I'd be doing something. <laughs> um, but no, I mean it's a it's a very interesting thing because at that moment, you know, you begin to think, oh my God, this is the biggest and the best piece that just happened. There's a tendency you come away from a great game and go, I've never seen anything like it. But yeah. you have, and a year later, there's something that that um, uh, surpasses that. So it, it, there's a mo- I, I knew at that moment that this was really big. And I know we did a uh, end of Olympic show on Sunday night after the U.S. had defeated Finland. People forget the U.S. still had one more game to win. Right. And I sat with, I sat with Jim McKay, and he asked me a question along the lines of, uh, uh, did I think this would, this would go on for a while where people would feel the way they did? I said, Jim, I, I don't know. It just happened. We're all very excited. Uh, the country has been, in a way, galvanized at yes. that particular time. Um, I said, I have a feeling it'll 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 last for a while. And you know, I think again, the movie HBO did a fantastic documentary. The right. story is well known, um, and it's so funny because obviously I have seen the tape. You know a couple of thousand times uh, in my <laughs> life think? but I, I i am now i am now in the third person so i'm kind of watching this and i'm getting excited and it's as, as if well you know what's going to happen but you kind of yeah. feel like hey you know i'm like everybody else watching it at that time and people tell <laughs> people tell me you know they still get tears in their eyes and yeah. in a way i gotta tell you occasionally i'll look at that thing and i will too I know it's me. I know what's coming, but you, you get caught up in that moment. And that was, that was, look, Sports Illustrated ranked it the greatest sports moment of the 20th century. And I don't know what was number two, but that was number one. Yeah, there's only one. Um, there's only one. And I, I, di- I do think that the film did such a good job with it. And not until I moved here to Minnesota did I really understand as much as about, you know, the local attachments to, all of the people involved and, and it's just, it's, but it is so crazy to, to think that it was here in the United States and somehow they managed to keep it under wraps so that every American who watched that broadcast that night was going bananas, knowing this mm-hmm. for the first time. It's just, it's just insanity. Um, I love it. I, I just, I, I, it just gives me chills. And I, I, again, I can't really imagine what it must be like to be the person who uttered it. When they did the film with, um, with, uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell? As her, he did a fabulous job. Did a great fabulous. job. I thought everyone was really good in that movie. Um, and my understanding is they asked you to try to redo the line so that the quality of the vocal or the audio was a higher quality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that is that true? That's true. So I, I agreed to be a part of it, and uh, the director Gavin O'Connor was terrific, and he was. We were very much in sync, and I told him I would redo a lot of the lines from the prior games and even early in the Soviet game. And what I meant by that was, I, w- I would redo it not to make it more exciting because it was exciting enough, but to kind of uh, put the pieces together. So in other words. If I was recreating something in the Norway game, I'd say, well, the U.S. came off a tie with Sweden uh, and two nights ago beat Czechoslovakia. So it would bring people into that moment. It wasn't to make right. it more exciting. So right. now we get down. And But part of the deal was I said, look, the one thing I will not touch 
the one thing I will not touch is the last 30 seconds of the game. You have to live yeah. with it. So yeah. you're going to love this story. I don't think uh, I've ever really told this, and I'm saving it for the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Yes. So the, the, the guy who uh, was the sound editor, and he'd won some Academy Awards, he was very upset because, again, this movie was done in like 2003, four. So it's 24 years later of technology. And it, the, the, the track is sort of muddy, the original track from 1980. And you can enhance it a little bit, but it still doesn't sound like it would 24, 25 years later with technology. So he and the director are having this little kind of battle. And Gavin O'Connor came to me and he said, hey, he said, would you at least attempt to do this and we can you know, see if it works? I said, no. <laughs> so, okay. So this 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 shows you how Hollywood works sometimes. So the sound guy with all of his Academy Awards and all the other chaserai he's got, uh, here's what he did. So the movie's going to come out on a Friday night. It's going to debut. The prior Saturday night, we go to a little theater in Hollywood for a preview. There are eight people in the theater. Linda Michaels and myself, my daughter Jennifer and her husband Jeff, Michael Eisner, who was running Disney at the time, and it was a Disney movie, and Jane Eisner, and Bob Iger and Willow Iger, because Bob was second in command, and we all know what Bob is right now. Yeah. So we're watching the movie. The movie's great. It comes down to the last 30 seconds, and I knew what the guy had done, and the guy had since you know he was he he wanted a clean track he made the music swell to the point where i got buried in the call oh so the God. lights come up and michael eisner says where's the call i said michael here's what happened michael said i'm going to get in the car i'm calling gavin o'connor right now this movie does not come out next friday unless they clean this up thank you very much and that's how it got done Holy mackerel. That's, that's how it got done. And another, so again, I don't want to name drop here, but I yeah. was talking to the huge uh, sports fan and A-list actor, Bradley Cooper. And we started to talk about this. And Bradley said, do you remember the guy's name? And I said, I don't. And he looked it up and he said, that's a guy I fired from a star is born 10 days before the movie came out because he wasn't listening to me either. Oh my goodness. There you go. Well, so, great minds think alike, don't they? You and Bradley <laughs> Cooper have so much in common. You really oh, yes, we do. do. Yeah, you yes, do. We do. Um, <laughs> I, I we, think... we, we know, we know, we know sound editors should not uh, mess around with us. Right. Absolutely. Anyway. I mean, and, and yeah. that's, that's kind of, you know, that's that's sort of basic. Like, you know what you want and you know what it should sound like. And when someone's yeah. going to screw that up, holy, that's your legacy, mm -hmm. man. That's you can't do that. It's mm -hmm. that's the moment that everyone lives for in in the whole in the whole game. That's the moment. But, so, Michelle, if, if, if I'm not sitting there six nights before with the guy with the two men who were running Disney at that time. Yeah. It comes out. It, it could have come out Boy, that way. Music, music <gasps> just swells. Yeah, that is right. 
Oh my gosh, that's that's yeah. cray cray. Yeah. That is really, yeah. as the cool kids said, that's cray cray. Um, that's cray cray. That's wild. Hey, that's listen, that. I think one yeah. of the things I admired the most about you is that you've raised two phenomenal kids, but also that you've you've been married to the same amazing woman since you were very young, and you and Linda, um, you know, she's, I would say she's like a rock for you. And I just wonder why you guys have had such a successful marriage. If you have a, a key to a successful marriage. I think we both had uh, great upbringings and, you know, I feel uh, so badly for, you know, kids who grew up in either single parent homes or homes where, you know, the parents are always fighting with each other or, or getting a divorce. I know I'm, I'm a, I'm a lucky one. My parents had a fantastic marriage. Linda came from a rock solid home. So we had the base, the base was yeah. there. And we also knew each other for uh, five or six years before we got married. We, we met when we were 15 years old. So we kind of knew what we were getting into. And then it just sort of, I think you just have to uh, uh, kind of have the same vision and it's it's not like you know you, you don't have arguments or disagreements of course, of course like any like yeah. anybody else but we always wanted to um raise our children the same way and mm -hmm. i know you know i was in a high profile job from the time they were born i mean i was either doing the cincinnati reds or the san francisco giants or going to abc so as they're growing up uh you know dad is out there but we always made them understand i'm only out there because i'm just in a business where a lot of people know what you do and know who you are. It doesn't make me or us any better than, than anybody else. So we, we always we always try to let them know that, hey, look, I just happen to be in this area, which other people are not into. I mean, you could be a great insurance salesman. You're not going to – people won't know you, but it doesn't make him or her um, any less than, than, than dad. So, uh, you know, fortunately, look, we've been – you know, it's, I can't tell you how much, and you know how, how much I feel about the family and the great things that have happened to me. And, you know, don't forget, I ended my book by saying I'm not sure there is reincarnation. Uh, but if I do come back, I think in a God, if God wants to get even with me, I'll be working in a sulfur mine in Mongolia <laughs> on the night shift. And that'll, you know, that'll balance out what this life has been. Which was one of the most classic endings of a book ever. If you haven't read Al's book, you should go get it. Yeah. You can't make this up. It is phenomenal. And it's so written in your voice. You get to know Al in a different way. For the Although a lot of people at home feel like they know you because you're just who you are. On television, you're the same guy. Um, that's Again, it's that authenticity, I think, that really distinguishes you. And you now you've introduced streaming into the NFL, you and Kirk Herbstreet have brought uh, America onto the next level of how we're going to probably be seeing a lot of, a lot of television or, or whatever we want to call it, streaming in the future. How did season number one go in general? And uh, well, we'll start there. Yeah, I think all things considered, since uh, we had to ramp up from nothing, no infrastructure, no equipment, no personnel, and had to do it within a year. And so I thought one of the things I think Amazon wanted was to make sure their presentation 
was big time and yeah. not rinky dink. So you could go out and maybe hire people uh, less costly to do certain things. And then they wound up partnering with NBC to provide production, which brought Fred Goodelli, who, of course, we worked with for a ton of years, maybe the best ever to produce a game. So he was uh, tasked with putting together the entire operation. And it was fantastic in the sense that we had a lot of the same people that have done Sunday Night Football uh, or uh, major football on other networks in the past. Uh, brought everybody together, brought a great director in Pierre Moussa, put together the, the entire crew. So when the season started, um, I mean, even I was kind of amazed that we could make this look very much like Sunday Night Football or any yeah. of the other presentations right off the bat. So that part of it was great. The Amazon people were terrific, unbelievably supportive through and through. Um the schedule is the issue because teams cannot play more than once on a Thursday night. So we had to do every team. And obviously there were going to be some games that were good, some games that were not very good. But actually that happens every Sunday anyway. You know, sometimes yeah. the game is going to be great and it's not. All right. <laughs> totally. So you, you've got that going on. Now they're going to try to this year expand it a little bit, uh, maybe have teams play twice on a Thursday night, which helps us, uh, no doubt about it. The schedule comes out in about a week or so. So I'm curious to see what's going on there. They're going to do a Black Friday game. So in other words, you have games on Thanksgiving, and then the Black Friday game is going to be a fantastic thing for uh, for Amazon. That would probably you know sell $18 gazillion worth of merchandise that day <laughs> for people who are home logging on. Yes. Um, yeah. So all things, consi- all things considered, um, I was very proud of, of, of the way it worked, the way it looked. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll um, improve on that this year. I know that some people, again, it's the streaming world is a different world. It's not yeah. linear television. You know, you don't have a remote control going, you know, click, 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 change the channel. But they've got a lot of smart people in the technological end of this thing trying to work on making this simpler and more easily yeah. accessible to everybody and that'll come in time yeah absolutely and one of the great stories uh to look forward to this season is aaron Rodgers joining the new york jets uh i think it's just such it, it first of all it's interesting that brett Favre left the packers and went to the jets before he wound up with the vikings now aaron Rodgers leaves the packers goes to the jets it's kind of funny but he is a little bit bigger than life. He's, um, you know, you see him at games now in New York, you see him all about town. And this is massive for the New York market because he is a bona fide superstar. And I think that's been lacking in New York. So what does this do for the Jets, do you think, on the field? It makes them, number one, it makes them must-see television, at least yeah. at the beginning of the year. I mean, everybody's going to want to, see the Jets, see whether Aaron is still Aaron, uh, yeah. figure out, you know, just how good they are. Um, it's obviously, it's, look, this is a franchise, and everybody knows they won the one Super Bowl and maybe one of the most iconic games ever played. Yeah. And that's been it. They haven't won a, you know, since and have not made the playoffs all that often. So it's big. And also, you know, the other thing, too, is, they're the number two team in that market. They always will be. Yeah. I mean, the Giants yeah. 
predated them. I mean, every market, the Yankees will always be bigger than the Mets. I mean, the Mets kind of catch up from time to time. The Knicks will always be bigger than the Nets. The Rangers will always be bigger than the, the Devils or the Islanders. That's the way it is. I live in a, in a city where the Dodgers will always be better than the Angels, uh, yeah. the Rams over the Chargers, the mm-hmm. Kings over the Ducks. That's the way the Lakers over the Clippers. Lakers over the no Clippers, matter how yeah. Good the, uh, yeah. No matter how good the other team is, you still have something about Giants, Jets. But, you know, that doesn't mean that the Jets can't be good. doesn't mean the Jets can't win a Super Bowl, which would be, you know, obviously the Jets fans would go crazy. So I'm as curious as anyone to see what he has left. But he had plenty left at the end of last season. He yeah, still he did. did. And, you know, yeah. a couple of MVP awards before that. I mean, as far as I can tell, Aaron can still play at a very high level. Uh, he seems to be surrounded by a lot of good pieces, I think. Robert Sell is a a really good coach. He's got Nathaniel Hackett back as his offensive coordinator. So it's lining up really nicely for the Jets. But you know what? They've got to play the game. You gotta play so the game. Get it started. It, yeah, it's so interesting. It's it's like what you said going into that hockey game uh, in Lake Placid. You know, everyone thinks they know what's going to happen. You don't. We go into every season. I remember in the NFL just. Uh, hey, Michelle, who's going to win the Super Bowl this year? It's like, it's, you kind of go, you know, that's a dumb question, right? You know, it's a stupid question. It's it, everyone loves to talk about it and stuff, but I, trying to predict, we, you think you go in, you think you know so much, and you find out you know very little. Mish, you know why we love, by the way, Mish is our nickname, so in case yeah. people, I've never heard <laughs> you call Mish. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> we love sports because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't. And, you know, I have, my favorite phrase is nobody knows anything, which I've also <laughs> now, uh, I've, I've come up with a new one. Everybody knows nothing. Take your pick. <laughs> this, co- this is with a lot of things in life. This is like, you know, nobody watches more CNBC than I do. And I kind of just love the, I mean, this is kind of like it's the casino at home right when the yeah. stock market's open, in a way. Yep. Uh, you don't treat it exactly like a casino, but I'm, I'm watching all these people, uh, this pick and that pick, and that's good. And I'm, I mean, I'm going, come on, stop it already. There's a lot of obfuscation in everything. And then with sports, it's a, it's a different animal beast. Everybody's got an opinion. Hey, what about this? What about that? But it makes, it's fine. You can argue about it. You can have fun with it. But we watch these games because you don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. 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 And I have to bring this up. I don't think people understand that I've been in network television 47 years now. I think you and I have done more games together than any of my partners that I can. I've, I've had 100 partners because all those years at ABC, you know, I worked with Frank Gifford and Dan Deardorff for 12 years apiece and did a ton of baseball with Jim Palmer and Tim McCarver. And I also did, you know, like every sport on earth, uh, motorcycles on ice, you know, high diving from 162 (laughs) feet into a pool, demolition derby, you know, ski flying in Norway. So I've done, I've done everything. I've had a hundred partners. I've had, I mean, I I went through the list of them recently trying to remember everybody. And they include obviously Howard Cosell. They include OJ Simpson and they include the, the former Bruce Jenner, they've all been my mm-hmm. partners. So I've run 
the gamut. I've been with everyone. But I think you yeah. and I have probably done between the NBA and all the years we did the NFL, I think we've done more games together than, than any other pair. That's, there you go, kid. Again, like my kids say, that is cray-cray. But I love that. Um, I'm super proud of that. I really am. I think it's just, you know, when you're in it, when you're covering events and you're doing your job, you're just, you're doing your job. You've got your head down and you're grinding away and you're working and you don't really have an opportunity. And I haven't until recently to really under, to really appreciate like how good you had it. And I mean, the fact that I got to work so much with you, like that's good. Like when I went into this, if someone had said, yeah, you're going to finish your career working with Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. And then you'll have some well, time in there with John Madden too. I, I would have gone, okay, what do you, you know, what are you smoking? And can I have some? Uh, <laughs> is, but it's so now, but in retrospect, it's like, it's just been such a joy and a gift because it's not, it's, 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 I always think of Mary Tyler Moore and how she said at the end of the Mary Tyler Moore show, they were really a family. We were really a family at Sunday night football. You know, we really were no Monday question. night as well, but if that the last 10 years, 11 years on Sunday night, we knew each other so well, but we could get in fights. We could have fun. We could drink together, eat together, meet together, get serious together. And it, I don't know how else to describe it. You guys were my, my second family and, and uh, you know, that's, it was amazing. And our two years on the NBA too. And people should know too, that you and I met about three hours before we worked together. So, I, I signed on to do the NBA in addition to Monday Night Football in 03, the 03 04 season. And the first game I'm going, going to do is Christmas Day. Yao Ming is a rookie coming in with Houston to face the Lakers, who had this is the Kobe Shaq. Gary Payton comes in, Carl Malone. This is going to be the super team. Uh, and Doc Rivers had been fired by Orlando. So I luck into getting Doc as my partner. And uh, we're going to do the game at Staples Center. And I met you at like 9.15 in the morning, and we're going on the air at 12.15. That was cool, and that led to, you know, the uh, working together. But, listen, you still did the greatest interview of all time. It, it, it was fantastic. And that was um, in the in the Western Conference semis when the Lakers are playing San Antonio. It's a pivotal game five. And it's a game in which, you know, the, the winner of this game is going to probably go on to win the series, which the Lakers did. But uh, Colby hits a shot with about 11 seconds to go to give them the lead, the Lakers. Timeout. And then San Antonio has the ball. And then they forced Tim Duncan, who normally would play inside, obviously, but he's outside now. And he has the ball. The clock's running down. And he takes an off-balance, like, 17-footer, leaning to his left, and the shot goes in. I mean, he never attempted a shot like that. And now the clock's got four tenths of a second left. And Doc four tenths, great. folks. Like, That's four point tenths. four. Point four. Oh, oh, four, oh, four. And and Doc was great. Oh, yeah. Doc says, Doc said, Doc said, four tenths is the absolute minimum, maximum, whatever it was. To you know, it, it, you 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 can catch and shoot in four tenths. You can't do it in three tenths. Which, by the way, that, it, it kind of happened. Yes, yesterday, but that, that, not to digress in the Boston Philadelphia game, where you know the, the 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 Celtic player made the basket, but the clock had gone to zero point zero. Right. Anyway, so 
they inbound the ball. Gary Payton inbounds it. Everybody thinks they're going to go to Colby. Colby gets doubled, sends it into Derek Fisher, who turns around and makes the shot. You know, and I go, he scores. And, and <laughs> of course, they'll review it. But I said, the Lakers are already at the airport. They're on the tarmac, right? They're, they're not waiting around for any review of this. They bolted so off the court. They are long gone. But you yeah. were able to corral the one guy who was out of shape, Shaq, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and Kobe, Kobe was always angry with Shaq for the most part because he didn't feel like Shaq worked hard enough. So Shaq's yeah. the one guy who couldn't get to the airport. You grab him <laughs> underneath the basket. And breathlessly, and you say, okay, you know, you got to explain that. And Shaq said, one lucky shot deserved another. I mean, it was just <laughs> perfect. perfect. Which goes, which is a credit to Shaq. Like, he is a funny, smart guy. Yeah. And we've seen it since then with everything that he does. And I think he's, uh, right. that gets overshadowed sometimes by just, his behemoth size. He's a really clever, funny guy. And uh, that was a, that was a moment. Oh my goodness. So much we could talk about Al. I could go on all day with you and there have been times where we have, and I hope I get to see you soon. I'll come out and visit my mom and then you and I will have dinner with Linda. We we will. And by the way, in case people are wondering, that is the original, that is the original Seattle Kraken hat. Now the Kraken are in their second year in the league. They lead Dallas, as we uh, record this, two games to one in the second round. They've already won a playoff series. They knocked out Colorado. You know I am a hockey maniac. Yes. Maniac. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, addicted to every, every game. So in the honor of the Seattle Kraken, there you have there it. There you go. That we'll, we'll is a, that's a cool I'll, event. I'll, 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 I'll have a Florida Panther hat on next week. I'm like, damn, maybe we <laughs> Toronto three games to nothing. Anyway, so much. So much, so much, so much, so much. Okay. Oh my goodness. But it's been phenomenal. And we got to learn something we had never heard before from you about that story with the eight people in the theater and the, uh, the Disney brass coming to the rescue of, do you believe in miracles? Uh, Al, it's a miracle that I got to work with you, that I am friends with you. I thank my lucky stars. You know that. And thank you for coming on the Michelle Tafoya show. We're going to make this a series, right? Okay. Yeah. Next week. He, everyone hear that? What, what do you get he the, just said you, it. You, yeah, you got the Westminster Kennel Club going on behind you. What is Yeah, that? that's that's Jersey. Uh, he managed to stay quiet until now, so I'm grateful. But he chimes in in almost every show, and it was on, only a matter of moments uh, before he did he's that. Hungry. So He's hungry. Go get him some Alpo. Okay. I will do that. I will do that. Al, thank <laughs> you. Alpo. Be good, no, of course, take he says care. Alpo. Love you, too. Love you, too. Thanks, everyone, take for listening. Be, good. Be brave and do good. This is the Michelle Tafoya Show. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.